tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I didn't get a chance to look out, there's a few more of you that came in tonight, praise God, and I appreciate you, appreciate your faithfulness in the house of the Lord, and uh, you pray for me, this is my fourth message today, uh, but I, if you're like me, man, I'm, I'm just kind of addicted to preaching anyways, and as long as it's good preaching, if it's bad preaching, I mean, just I'd rather go home and eat some kettle corn, but, uh, but uh, we pray that God will meet with us here tonight. And uh, has God been good? Has God spoke to you already this week? Amen. And that's my heart's desire and prayer. I don't ever want to preach a good message. I don't ever, 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 I've never asked God to help me preach a good message, but I have helped, I have asked him to help me preach an effective message. That's where God's people are, are spoken to, and uh, that's what it's all about. And I, I tell churches oftentimes, I probably said it last year when I was here, if we don't want to have revival, just tell me now. I mean, I can bump my flight up a little bit till tonight instead of tomorrow night. And uh, we got a red-eye flight. The preacher was just reminding me. He's like, what time you got to be at the airport? And uh, I like that red-eye because it'll put me home about 9 o'clock in the morning, and then I can rest all day. Everybody's at school now in our house. And, and, uh, but it's a blessing. But it, it, listen, I tell churches all the time, and I mean it with all of my heart. If you don't want to have revival, uh, listen, just help me pack my duds back up, and I'll turn, turn back around and go back home. But I think if I'm going to spend some time away from my home, I think it's worth seeking revival. And true revival. And I think you didn't, I don't think you came here on a Tuesday night, okay, when you could have been doing a lot better things than looking at me. And uh, because you didn't want revival. And so I want to, I pray that God will help me to help you here tonight. Uh, this sermon is always, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a bearing of my heart. And so I pray that you'll just stick with me here tonight as we try to preach God's word. Second Corinthians chapter number 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll back up. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll end in chapter 12. We'll start in chapter 11, if you don't mind, here tonight. I'll do my best to keep things moving here. And I appreciate you. I know some of you just started school and back and things like that. And I'm not exactly a short-winded preacher. And so I appreciate your, your uh, patience with me as a preacher. And, uh, but I think the Lord's been working. So, and, uh, but I am mindful of that. And so I thank you. I pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. Paul is going through chapter 11 here. He's dealing with some issues within the church here. And uh, several people there, there there's kind of seems like there's an undertow of complaining in the church. And, and there's some folks that are talking about the things that they had gone through. And then Paul begins to uh, speak on some things. In verse number 21, he said, I speak concerning reproach as though I had been weak. Uh, Howbeit, uh, wherein uh, soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. He said, listen, I know it's kind of silly to mention this, but he said, they think they're bold? Yeah, I'm bold. He said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And then he goes on to give really his, his resume of being an apostle. And Brother Dominguez, it's terrible. I mean, you would think somebody, when he's about to brag on the things that he has done for the Lord. You think he'd talk about all the wonderful things and all the scripture that he had penned? But the Bible shows us here that when he begins to talk about being ministers of Christ, he does not talk about the great things that happened to him. It's quite the opposite. He said, I've been in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. And he's not talking about on his jujitsu belt. He's talking about being beaten. Some of you may remember about 20, actually about 30 years ago now, you remember there was that, there was that boy and he was in Singapore. And he had, he had either written some graffiti, I think, 
uh, or it littered or something like that. But I, I think he had, he had written some graffiti on one of the garbage cans in Singapore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You remember that story? Remember, he got caned publicly. I'm talking about they took, it's like I used to say with my mama uh, growing up, and man, uh, she took the board of education and applied it to my seat of knowledge. I told some people, I said, my mother was so patriotic growing up. Of course, we have a lot of military around here. Pray, I'm trying to get one of the young men that's in the military from our church, and he got saved in our church years ago, and I went to Bible college for a short time after that, and then joined the military, and I texted him the other day, I said, where are you at in Washington? He said, I live in Puyallup. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I'm hoping he'll come tomorrow night and join us for the service. But, but I told him, I said, my mama was super patriotic growing up. I said, yeah, she put on the stripes and I saw the stars. Amen. <laughs> and Paul says here, he says, I've, I've been given stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths off. Of the Jews received I five, uh, uh, five times received I 40 stripes save one. Now that may not mean anything to some of you. Anybody know what that's talking about? That's that scourging. How many times, preacher, have we, even on an Easter Sunday, we've preached about the beating of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've talked about how he was, he was almost, uh, I mean, the Bible talks about where they would scourge these men sometimes, and their back would just open up, and a lot of times their organs or their lungs would fall out of their backs, their backs because their backs were so beaten and torn up. And how many times have we talked about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and then we wonder why Paul said, and he said, I bear in my body the marks of the cross. Why? Because Paul said he not only went through the suffering that Jesus went through, that we have preached about and we have been drawn to tears about. Paul said, I've gone through that five times. I've often wondered what the apostle Paul must have looked like. Stripes above measure. And here he is being scourged. Like the, and if you don't understand what that means, he said 40 stripes save one because they could strike you 39 times with the cat of nine tails and it not be cruel and unusual punishment. Paul said, you think you've gone through it? I've been scourged five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. And not like some of you hippies back in the 70s. Once was I stoned outside of Derby and Lystra, we know that. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and the day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters. In perils, and that word perils means trouble. He's been in conflicts. He said, I've been in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. Sound like a rap song, doesn't it? You heard rap at Baptist church. In perils in the wilderness. And he said, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He said, I've been in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, and in naked. It sounds like Paul could write a book called How to Live Your Best Life Now, doesn't it? Sounds like he could, he could write a book on the happy, happy joy Christian life. How to live on the good ship lollipop spiritually. And yet Paul, when he gives his qualifications, he said, I'm going to tell you what my qualifications are. I've been through the ringer and I've been back. And then he said, beside all this, these things that are without, or in other words, outside of my body. Watch this. And this is what some of you church members will never understand. Listen to me very carefully. The Bible says, 
that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I'm telling you, some of you, because you've never been in church leadership or pastor or in charge of a ministry, you don't understand what Paul is saying. Young man, is training for the ministry, pastoral theology, I believe. You're going to understand it more than you've ever understood it before. When your name is on that door and there is nobody else that you can say, go talk to preacher. My pastor, oftentimes, he'll say, man, that was nice when we can tell him, go down to somebody else's office. Paul said, besides all those things that are without, he said, I'm getting it from the outside, and I've got it on the inside, too. He said, I'm carrying in my heart the the care of all the churches, and many of you don't understand it, and having been in pastoral ministry myself, and I was mainly the administrative pastor of our church, and my pastor and I, we worked together side by side for almost 14 years, and and, uh, he would often say to preachers that were visiting, he would say, this is Brother Calvin Allen, he's my right-hand man, and sometimes he's my left hand too. And I didn't mean take anything away from him. We were just so intertwined with each other. We were so tight with each other. Oftentimes, the staff members at our church would come in and ask me questions before they would ask him to see what he was going to say. And we're so close. I, I, get, I never one time gave them a wrong answer that he was going to tell them. I mean, I could just tell them. They'd come to my office and say, Brother Alan, I'm thinking about this. I got this idea of ministry. I said, listen, he's going to ask you these three questions. He's going to say, did you cover this? What about this? What about this? Or he's going to say, that's dumb. Get out of here now. And uh, go give it to Calvin. No, but uh, I'm just telling you, we were so tight with each other. And I even counseled folks in the church there and tried to help folks. And I didn't have an extensively heavy counseling uh, ministry there, but I counseled, and matter of fact, today I probably do a little bit more than what I did even as an assistant pastor of the church, particularly college-age students as I speak to them and, and different things, and, and uh, God's given me that heart and to, to invest in young people, and I love it. I've preached that. I can't tell you how many Bible colleges. I just got a text this morning uh, to guest lecture in an uh, advanced homiletics, a preaching class uh, for those guys there, and, and I love it, uh, but listen to me today. I still have never been the senior pastor of a church. And as much as I think I understand, Brother Dominguez, what it's like to be the senior pastor of a church, I've never had to sit in that role without somebody else backing me up. And Paul said, I understand what it's like. He said, I care about the churches. And I listen, when some of you go home at night, you, you particularly don't worry about the bills at the church. And you're not worried about what goes on in the building here. And we, we, I've heard story after story about the, the stuff that has happened on this property here. It's just nuts. He's, I guess you attract what you are. But it's, and, uh, but it's just crazy, the stuff that happens here. But guess what? Most of you aren't coming here at 1 o'clock in the morning if your alarm goes off. You know what you are at 1 o'clock in the morning? They usually don't call you at 2 o'clock in the morning when somebody just passed away and they need a pastoral visit. They usually don't call you when their son's been taken to jail for the fourth time or he's gotten out of rehab and he's relapsed for the third time. And Paul said, I understand what this is like. And listen, I'm not saying a sob story of ministry. I love being in the ministry. I know your pastor loves ministry and, and you love ministry and those that are studying for ministry. But I'm just saying, uh, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's not standing up before a This is so much a uh, small part of what I do. 
This is such a small part of my day. I'm answering questions over here. I'm trying to have a family. Listen, we got issues just like you have issues. Paul said, let me tell you about this Christian life. Our young men in the ministry all the time, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very blunt with young men when it comes to ministry. And uh, you wouldn't like me being your mentor. <laughs> and uh, I'd say, I, you know, what do you do? I, I'm like, okay, what do you do when the first deacon cusses you out? You don't think that happens? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and, uh, what are you going to do when half the church walks out in one Sunday? Like it happened to our church. I'm talking about we were averaging 700 on buses alone at our church at one time. And on my birthday, in the year 1996, half of the church walked out on one Sunday. 50% of the finances. Listen to me. My pastor had to go and take two jobs so he could pastor that church. I'm telling you, it's not all roses and sunshine in the Christian life is what I'm saying. Paul said, I've got that and the care of the churches on my heart. Watch this. Who is weak? Verse 29, am I not weak? Those of you in the ministry, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you ever had to put your own burdens to the side and pick up somebody else's? You ever, you ever had to, you were grieving and processing things they didn't even know about, but you kind of put your grief to the side because brother such and such or sister such and such needed. And I say even some of you young people don't understand that. Your parents are carrying burdens that some of you don't even realize and know about. And many times because you stubbed your toe, they put their burdens to the side. And many times they don't share with you what's going on or the burdens of their heart or they're not, going to be, they're not sure if they're going to be able to make mortgage. They're not sure where they're going to be able to put any food in your belly. And we're complaining that we didn't get the new $150 shoe. Paul said, I know what that's like. He says, are you weak? Am I not? Who is offended? And I burn not. Somebody called our preacher one time. He said, he said, you know, he said this guy, I got this guy, a pastor called. This man in my church is talking about me and he's criticizing me. And preacher said, only one? <laughs> That's all? You ought to thank God. Paul said, you, you think you're offended? And I burn not? Then he pivots. and says, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine, what's that word? Infirmities. Hmm. He talked about in verse 33 about being led through a window, through a basket, down the wall, and escaping the hand of the enemies. It says in verse number 12, chapter 12, it says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. God, of course, was giving him these visions. He was giving him the word of God. And he said, he talks about a man he knew in Christ. And many believe he's talking about himself. He was caught up in the heaven. And then it was another one that was caught up in the paradise. He said, of a, such a one will I glory, in verse number 5. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine. What's that word again? Infirmities. 
Mm. For though I would desire to glory, I, will, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul said, just so you understand, I'm not trying to lift myself up here. I'm not trying. And isn't that the opposite of today's age? He said one of Paul's biggest concerns was that he would be exalted above measure. One of Paul's greatest concerns, we're going to look at in a second here, was that somebody would look at him and they would look at him as more than what he truly is. In our social media society today, we have bred the thought, we have bred the, the, the idea of people seeing us for more than what we are. And you young people know what I'm talking about. This is why we take pictures at the angles that we take them, don't we? This is why you take a picture like, oh, no, that's my bad side. I don't have a good side, so I don't know what to do with that. This is why when we take a picture, we take it up like this. So they don't see all four of my chins right here. And this is why we take it. And, I mean, I, I, girls these days, they, they, they kill me with those pictures. Some guys. No. And, uh, you know why? We want somebody to think more of us than what we really are. This is why you look at somebody's life online and, oh, everything's great, everything's wonderful, everything's fantastic, and then all of a sudden, two days later, they're putting these cryptic, I'm just ready to check out and end it all. I'm like, well, what happened here? What happened was you weren't even honest enough. We always want somebody to see us better than what we are. That's human nature. Paul said, here's what happened. And lest I should be exalted above measure, Through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Paul said in one of the verses, he talked about how he's received more revelations than anybody. And he says, lest I should be exalted above measure because of this, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I'm going to preach to you tonight with the help of God on this simple subject, from a mess to a message. The Bible said, here was Paul. He'd gone through all of these things, lest he should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. He said, what, what happened was, uh, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. But then he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Oh, can, can, can I illustrate it this way tonight? Don't ever forget this illustration, and you probably won't. Here's what Paul said. It was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Little junior Mr. Creek, can I use you for an illustration? He's like me. You, right there, the sharp-looking one with the suit on. What's your name, bud? Owen. What's that? Owen. Owen. That's a cool name, Owen. You look sharp. And uh, your glasses are sharper than mine, so I don't like you anymore. And uh, you got your name right there? Oh, you're a cool dude. All right. And uh, Owen, come here. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be a thorn in the flesh to me, okay? Okay. All right. So what I want you to do is you're just going to irritate me. You're just going to go like that. 
Can we do that? Yeah. Try it out. All right, that's good enough. All right. Now pay attention because you're going to have to irritate me when I tell you to irritate me, and then you got to stop. Yeah. Wouldn't you wish they worked that with your wife? Anyways, <laughs> no. <laughs> Hopefully she's not watching tonight. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to need a place to stay next week too. <laughs> Watch this. There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Watch this. It said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. That's the same word that they used for the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when they struck him with the palms of their hands? The Bible says they took the palms of their hands and they buffeted him and said, tell us who you are. In these pugilistic ways, the Bible says this messenger was sent to me to buffet me. And here's what I said. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Here's what happens. See if this isn't your Christian life. You got this messenger and he's buffeting you. And it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you get, where you go. It's always there. You can go to church and he's there. You can try to pray and he's there. You can try to read your Bible and it's there. Try to go soul winning, he's there. Try to go home and have a good marriage, be a good parent, he's there. Say, Brother Allen, what could that message be? I don't know. For each one of us, it may be a different message. For some of you, it's sin in your life that's buffeting you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have sins in your life. Some of you have sins in your past that no matter what you do, Satan is constantly reminding you of what you did. And it doesn't matter. You can try to pray all you want to. And it's almost like as you're praying, you're getting buffeted. And you try to teach a Sunday school class. And you think to yourself, I could never teach that class. Boy, if anybody knew what I was, if anybody knew what I've done, I don't think I could ever do that. Uh, and it seems like every time you try to witness to your person that worked with you, you say, man, I can't witness to them. They knew what I was before. They knew I can't, man, I can't witness to my mama. My mama saw what I did as a teenager and broke her heart. I can't witness to my daddy or I can't witness to my kids because they knew what I was like before I got saved or when I got distant and away from God. And it seems like it doesn't matter where I go. It just, it's always with me. And I try to sing in church and it's with me and I try to read my Bible and it's with me for some of you tonight it's your sin you ever been like David my sin is ever before me and it may be something tonight that only you and God know about but don't you know tonight Satan will constantly prick you? Your conscience will constantly eat at you. And if you're not careful, you're going to let things that you did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 5 years ago, you're going to let that cripple you. And the Bible said this messenger of Satan, he is going to bump at you with that message. Sometimes it's sin. For some of us, it's a heartache. And you carry that heartache. Everywhere you go. 
And it doesn't matter whether you whether it was 20 years ago or whether it was five weeks ago, you carry that heartache and you carry that burden in your life. People say this all the time to me. This too shall pass. What about when it doesn't? Say this too shall pass with the man who's buried his wife. Because it ain't passing. Say this too shall pass with the parent that has prematurely had to bury their child. It's not coming to pass. It's coming to stay. Say this too shall come to pass to the parent whose kid is wayward and doesn't want anything to do with God and hates God and hates the way they're brought up and hates the church. And for many of them, I wish it was 100% accurate. I think we misuse that verse about train up a child in the way he should go because I know the Bible's true, but it doesn't always work out like we think it's going to work out. And what do you say to the parent whose kids never came back and maybe they even end up dying in their sin? What do you say to that parent? What do you say to our bass singer and piano player in our quartet who a year ago this week, his little seven-year-old boy was diagnosed with leukemia? Do we get up in the pulpit Sunday and give him some trite little things? Well, God, God's still in control, brother. Yeah, that's easy to say when it's not your seven-year-old that has cancer. That's easy to say when you're not the one dealing with Parkinson's disease or multiple sclerosis. That's easy to say when all of your children are in church and you're not, you don't have to worry about any of them or you don't have to worry about whether they're taking their own lives or you don't have to worry about whether they're strung out on drugs somewhere. I'm just simply saying here tonight, sometimes things don't come to pass. Sometimes they come to stay. Paul said, whatever your heartache is, whatever this message from Satan is, he said, he said, it's buffeting me. Paul said, here's what I did. I went to the right place, right? Because the Bible says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what it says, right? Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And Paul said, I went down on my knees again, and I said, Father, I don't want to go through this. I'm going to have to fire you, man. You got to keep going until I tell you to stop. And he's like, dear God, I pray that you remove this, cut, remove this from me, Lord. I just, I just, I'm having a rough time, Lord. And oh, God, would you help me? I'm, I'm, I'm getting burdened down. It's heavy, Lord. And all of a sudden, it stops. And you're like, oh, man, praise God. Man, I've got some relief. Man, this is good. I was in my house. My heart was heavy. I maybe shed some tears and cried. Man, this is good. And then it comes back. And you're like, man, I thought I, I thought I dealt with this. But there's been times in my life where bitterness has risen up. And I thought I dealt with it. And then something happened. Maybe see that person again, be in that circumstance again. And all of a sudden it begins to rise up. You thought you got over the hurt. You go back to God again. You thought you got over that sin and say, God, I got the victory. I thought, I mean, I I was walking in your forgiveness. 
Satan begins to buffet you again. Then you pray a second time. Maybe a revival happens in the church. Man, that preacher got up and preached, and man, God began to work on your heart. You get on your face again, oh, God, please help, Lord. I need you. I surrender it to you, God. I give it to you. Father, I know that heartache that came into my life. God, please just remove the hurt, remove the pain, and it stops. And you're like, Whew. all right. I know, I know it's going to stick this time. And about three weeks later, Have a seat right there just for a second. I'm going to use you again. Paul said, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But it's not going away. And if you don't know my testimony, I was born in the city of Gary, Indiana. I was teased that Gary, Indiana is the number one vacation spot for nobody. <laughs> Gary's a good place to be from. I was born there in 1981. At the time I was born there, it was the murder capital of the United States. I remember walking to the candy store when I was a little kid, and we lived on 8th and Jefferson at that time. And I remember there was train tracks, and I remember walking past a dead body on the train tracks. They'd leave dead bodies there. We stayed kitty-corner from a motorcycle club, the, the Cobras Motorcycle Club. My mom at the time was dating one of the men who was in that motorcycle club, and I remember as a little kid, the parties, they, I remember seeing the blue light and the red lights in the rooms and the parties that they were held on there. And some of my earliest memories are walking up the stairs right off of Broadway that my, my cousin's dad had owned a bar. And I remember sitting at that bar as a little kid, not knowing anything else but that life. My little mother, she was 15 years old when she gave birth to me. Her mom had died when she was 14. Her dad died when she was 15. She was being raised by her older siblings. My mom is the youngest of nine. They were a bunch of heroin dealers, running prostitution rings, in and out of prison, drugs, alcohol. Mother, I thank the Lord when I lived there, a church out in Chesterton, Indiana, came and ran a bus into Gary, Indiana, picked me up when I was four years old. Gave me the gospel for the first time. Everything we had burned up in a fire shortly after that, which is why we moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We didn't know anything about the Lord. We had a touches with church here and there. And somebody invited me to church when I was 11 years old at Faith Baptist Church. I got saved March 21st, 1993. To God be the glory. And I wish I could say when I got saved, boy, everything just went away. No problems after you get saved, right? If you believe that, I got some beach property in Arizona I want to sell you. I wish TBN was right. I wish once you got saved, you just never had any more problems. Never had to worry about a bill or finances. Never had a heartache. It's just not true. My dad, same first name as me, and grew up all my life going back and forth to Chicago Heights and Harvey and Hazelcrest, Illinois, all those, all those areas right there, and mainly Chicago Heights, though. 
all these suburbs of Chicago and back and forth over the years and dad had remarried and wonderful Christian woman and they split up a couple years after that and and dad was going to move to Wisconsin my senior year of high school. My dad was going to move to Wisconsin like man I finally get finally get to spend time with my dad. He had other children in that marriage there. Finally going to get to spend some time with my dad. State of Wisconsin was like, oh, welcome to the state of Wisconsin. You haven't paid child support ever. We're going to go back to your child being five years old when he moved here, and you're going to pay back child support from five years old till 17. But with that, comes a mandatory DNA test. And I went there in the summer, got my cheek swabbed, didn't think anything of it. The results came back September 2nd, 1998. I called my mom at work and she had gone down there to the courthouse. I called my mom at work and I thought, I thought, let's just get this over with so I can get, you know, we can get to figure out all this kind of stuff here. And I called my mom at work, and I said, hey, Ma. I, and I was just, just like I'm talking right now, I said, hey, Ma. I said, what happened? You know, let me, let me know what happened. She said, she said, I'll talk to you when you get home. I'll talk to you when you get home. And I knew what that meant. I tried my best not to show it in my voice. I hung up the phone with my mom. I went right downstairs to our old locker rooms at the old church there. I just began to weep. My entire life had just turned upside down and inside out. Now come along with your trite little Christian statement and tell me this too shall pass. I can pray all I want to at the altar. I still don't know who my daddy is. I can say, Lord, let this cup pass from me. It's not passing from me. It's not going to come to pass. It's here to stay. That same day, I was sitting in church about five hours later. And I was just out of my mind. I just didn't even know. Man, I just, I, I, honestly, I was like just functioning barely. And some of you know what that's like. You've had burdens on your heart where you just, you just come to church and you're just trying to function. Every preacher in this building, you know what I'm talking about. There's been times where you just, you just kind of walked your way through the message. And you had such a burden on your own heart. But you tried to feed the people of God and you know, you know where you're supposed to be. You know where you ought to be. But we lay aside our burdens. We just preach the truth to you. Try to feed the flock of God. And I just tried to move forward. I was sitting in the side of our church. On this section here, my mind was just, was just going crazy, all kind of directions. And as I'm sitting here, one of our young men runs into the door, and he hands me a piece of paper. And he says, our, our, he said, you need to read that now. And on this piece of paper, it said, your cousin's been shot in the head. He probably won't make it through the night. I remember getting up going downstairs into the church, and I found a little corner somewhere where nobody was. And I honestly, I didn't even have any more tears. And my only, the only thing I could say to God was, what's next? 
You ever been there? What's next? And can I say this? If you haven't been there, you will. You will. It's like, Lord, what's next? That year, three of the young men in my, two of the young men in my class, daddies went home to be with the Lord. It just seemed like thing after thing after thing. There's some things in our life and there's some struggles and even sin in our life where it's just not coming to pass. And it doesn't matter how many times you pray about it. And it doesn't matter how many times you, Paul said, this thorn of the flesh, and we, I believe it was his eyesight. As Paul talks about in certain epistles, he said, I've written this with my own hand. He told the church at Galatia, he said, he said remember, where is that blessedness in which he spake? He said, if it were possible, you would have taken your own eye out and given it to me. I believe it was Paul's eyesight was his struggle. But Paul said in the middle of everything that was going on, he said, I got a message. Here's the message. Come here, buddy. The Bible said, lest he should be exalted above measure, there was given unto him a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of who? I'm apologizing, Dad, but I need you to be Satan. <laughs> you know, you got the Anton LaVey look going on, so it's just kidding, brother. So watch this. Go back by your dad. Here's what your Bible said he does. He is a messenger of Satan, correct? So he gets a message from Satan. He then brings that message back to me. And he begins to harass me with the message that he got from Satan. Are are you catching this? This is, by the way, why the Bible says the weapons of our warfare. I was going to preach it on this this week. I probably won't get to it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God because there are things that Satan are drawing up into your mind that word imaginations that's that's our reasoning that's our reckoning those are the messages that we are getting from our own heart because the Bible even says if our own heart condemn us God is greater in our heart and I not only have the messengers of Satan whether it's his imps whether it's his messages or whether it's my own flesh that is telling me God does not know God does not care God is not going to rescue you God has no help for you I'm going to tell you tonight the devil is a liar tonight Remember those old black women, some of those sanctified churches they used to go to, they say the devil is a liar. And some of you Baptists need to realize tonight, the devil is a liar. Don't you believe the lies of Satan? Don't you believe that God cannot help you? Don't you believe that God is not coming to your aid? Don't you believe yet for a second here tonight that he has forsaken you? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee which poses another issue with this scenario in the Bible. The Bible says he is a messenger of who? You ought to take a time out here and say, why 
why is he sending a messenger? If Satan's so big, if Satan's so mighty, if Satan is such a wonderful being, and so much so he is so strong that the Bible said in Jude that Michael the archangel wouldn't even bring a railing accusation against him, but he had to say, the Lord rebuked thee. If Satan is so strong, so much that an archangel is not willing to fight him, then why doesn't Satan come to me himself and give his message? Here's why. Here's point number one. Y'all ready for this? Preacher, can I use you for a second? Here's why. Point number one. And I know we as flesh and blood, but we're going to represent the Lord here tonight. Number one, because God is standing near. You say, Brother Alan, I don't know that out of these scriptures. Oh, well, let's take a look. Here's what your Bible said. Messenger of Satan above me, lest I should be married. For this thing beside our Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And, verse number 9, and he said to me, who is he? Now, my Bible's not written in red. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Don't miss this tonight. Watch this. Satan is sending a messenger. Jesus just spoke. Did you catch that? Satan is sending a messenger back and forth. Jesus just spoke the words. You say, what is this telling me? That is letting me know that when the buffets of Satan come, when the buffets of sin come, when the buffets of self come, there is a God that is standing by me that will never leave me nor forsake me. You say, how do we know this? Oh, You remember the Bible said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, my favorite book in all of the Bible. I have most of it still memorized. I memorized the entire book in high school. I love the book of Philippians with all of my heart. And the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Don't miss this. And that's the part we as preachers we focus on all the time, don't we? I want his resurrection power on my life. I want his power to preach. I want his power to sing. I want his power to stand. I want his power to counsel. But the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And watch this. The fellowship of his sufferings. Did you know tonight uh, there is a fellowship, uh, there is a closeness with God, there is an intimacy with God that you can never know until you have suffered. See, I don't believe that. The Bible says after you have suffered a while, I will establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Those of you that have run from your burdens, those of you that have run from spiritual battles, I'm going to tell you tonight, what you are running from is you are running from a closeness with God that only your burdens can bring you. You say, Brother Allen, why did this happen in my life? I can't explain to you every reason why this is going on in your life, but I do know this. You have not been forsaken. There is a God that still says, come unto me, all ye that labor. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and he says this for my yoke is easy and my burden is light but he said this brother Dominguez he said and learn of me 
Because there are some things that you can only learn about Jesus in the yoke. There's some things you will learn about God only in the midnight hours. There's some things, Moses, that you've got to get away from everybody. And you've got to climb up that mountain. We, say, we talk about Moses on the mountain all the time as if it was some easy task. No, it gets rough climbing that mountain. There's some tears shed when you're climbing the mountain. There's some perspiration when you're climbing the mountain. There's some cramping up when you climb the mountain. I'm telling you tonight, some of you want those mountaintop experiences, but I'm going to tell you, you have no idea what it has cost those men and those women that are on the mountaintop of Christianity. And because you're not willing to pay the price, you'll never stand on the mountain of God. Because you run from your burdens and you run from your sin and you run from what God is doing in your life. Uh, let me tell you today, your burdens ought to be a reminder to you that there is a God in heaven. Uh, Job said this. Uh, he said, if a man die, shall he live again? Uh, oh, that's a good question for all of us, isn't it? If a man die, he had lost his cattle. He lost his children. He lost his companion. Uh, he lost his home, his castle. He had lost everything. Uh, and then finally he lost his own health. Uh, and the Bible said he comes to God and says in chapter 14, verse number 14, he said, God, if a man dies, shall he live again? And then he gave an answer in chapter 19, verse number 19. He said, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand by me at that latter day upon the earth. Aren't you glad tonight for a God that is standing near you, my friend? I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know if it's your sin. It's yourself. It's your, your, listen, you're suffering here tonight, but I'm here to remind you that there is a God that has not forsaken you. Sitting there in that basement that day, crying my little eyes out, crying my little heart out, 17 years of age, getting ready to go to Bible college, wondering what's going on in my life. My cousin's been shot later that day, but then all of a sudden, a couple years ago, I was at that ladies' meeting in Illinois I was talking about, 1,200 women in there, and there was a woman. She stood up, and she began to give her testimony. She was dropped on the doorstep of an orphanage right around New York City when she was a little baby girl. And these are verses I probably read in the Bible before. But she got up and she began to quote these verses out of the Bible. And God began to minister to my heart. She began to read those verses. If my father and my mother forsake me, whew, the Lord will take me up. She began to read the verse that God will be a father to the fatherless. He, she began to read the verse, pure religion and under Bible before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And I'm going to tell you, God began to minister to my heart. It wasn't a big preacher. It wasn't some Christian hero. It was just some woman giving her testimony. And God was reminding me that he is still standing by me. They had requested after that that we sing the song, Do You Know How It Feels? We begin to get to that chorus. How does it feel to know you're a child of the king whose heavenly father owns everything? How does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above? And how does it feel to know you're all right when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real, ain't it good to know how it feels? I'm going to tell you what that was for me, brother. That was a hug from the holy God of heaven, reminding me that he's not forgotten me. And I tell you tonight, God is standing 
near. And this is why in this episode of scripture, Satan does not come to you himself. He has to send a messenger because there's somebody bigger. There's somebody badder. There's somebody more capable. There's somebody that is higher than he is. There's somebody that is deeper than he is. And I'm going to tell you right now, his name is Jehovah God and he is higher than the highest and he is greater than the great. And nobody's ever going to take his crown away tonight. I want you to know that he is near us. The Bible says God is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He says a broken and a contrite spirit. He will say, brother, I'm so broken tonight. I came in here, I'm so broken. I don't know if I can be fixed. Well, I'm going to tell you tonight, the Bible says he is nigh unto the broken. An amazing, one of the most wonderful scriptures we'd say about Jesus is, the Bible says he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knows all about it, my friend. Not only is he acquainted with grief, the Bible said, oh, he is the lily of the, oh, you mean he's not the lily of the mountaintop? No, he's the lily of the valley. He is the good shepherd that is walking us through the valley of the shadow of death. That's my Jesus. Watch this. I use you two men again. Oh, it gets better. We're almost done here tonight. Here's what you learn. God is standing near. And then here's what he said. He said, the Bible says, and he said, my grace is sufficient. Say, what does that mean, Brother Allen? Here's what happens. Let me give you a visual picture of what happens. Satan messenger comes over here. Old smutty face is over there because he ain't got the guts to come where I am. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him right here standing beside me. And old smutty face is over there. He sends his little messenger. His messenger starts to buffet me. And it gets tiring. It gets weary. But just about the time I'm about to falter and fail, the unseen hand of God comes out of glory world and begins to lift me up again. Mm. You say, what, number one, God is standing near. Number two, his grace is sufficient. Have a seat for a second, young man. Young man and senior saint. No, <laughs> seasoned saint. God's grace is sufficient. I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing like learning of the sufficient grace of God. And those of you that have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, Peter, when you're just about to sink, if you'll call out to him and just say, Lord, save me, you'll find his grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. He's never going to let you fail. Here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I made a quote it already this week. But thou, O Lord, are a shield unto me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I've coached teams. I've coached soccer teams. I've coached basketball teams. I've coached uh, men in, in, in jiu-jitsu and all that kind of stuff. I've coached football teams as well. I've been to several football camps and been coaching there and, and everything else. I've coached just about everything, softball, little league. I, we, we've coached it all. What do we tell our team when they're down? What do we say to them? Keep your head up, don't we? Hey, son, keep your head up. There's still more game to play. Keep your head up. Can I say to you tonight, God is not saying keep your head up. 
Because your Bible says he is the lifter of your head. Aren't you glad God is not so disconnected to us that he's got to tell you to do it on your own, preacher? He comes down to you personally and he says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I am the lifter of your head. Mm. You serve a God like that. You serve a God. David said, oh, don't cast me off in my old age, oh, Lord. And then he came back later and said, I've been young and I'm old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. Some of y'all need to go to your dictionary tonight and look up that word never. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. There is a sufficient grace of God. Many of you heard the story. I may have shared it last year while I was here. Preaching a camp in Arkansas. Man, I'm, I'm hurrying. I was preaching a camp in Arkansas two years ago. And then I, it was like one of those camps where seven people walked the aisle before I ever preached. I just got up and started leading songs about the cross, and seven young people walked the aisle and got saved. It was just crazy. It was nuts, left and right. We were having altar calls an hour long each night. It was, it was just crazy. I got a text from my mom earlier one day, and then Text after text after text. My sister had gone to the hospital. Got a knock on my door. I was taking a nap. Got a knock on my door. One of the young men that worked at the camp, he said, you need to go call your wife right now. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, something happened to one of my boys. Something happened you know, at the house or something. And my wife said, honey, said, I don't know how to tell you this. Your sister's gone. And I'm like, the world just, like, stood still. If you ever face something like that, you know what I'm talking about. Everything just stands still. And I, I'm like, what, what did you just say to me? My sister was 13 years old. She was 27 years old. Went in for what should have been a routine procedure. Had a dialysis port put in. She was having her first treatment. Something went wrong. She seized up and was gone in 30 minutes. about your world being rattled. My mom, I don't have time to go into the whole story. My mom, I was hoping to God my mom would not ask me to preach her funeral. I'd preach six or seven of the funerals of my church, and I was like, man, I hope she does not ask me to preach this funeral. We went to her church Sunday morning, drove up, and after service, we met with her pastor's good man. And my mom, first thing out of her mouth was, I want Calvin to preach. And I'm like, inside, I was like, oh. And if you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about. you got to set your own stuff to the side. you got to be strong for everybody else. And I, didn't, I, I, I wanted one time in the last 10 years to be able to grieve at the funeral. But I was like, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. Remember the night before the funeral? Talking about a sufficient grace. I remember thinking we had to, all had to go down there for the private family thing, and I was there, and my mom was there, and my brother and his wife were going to go in, and we were going to have our own private viewing and have the funeral the next day. And, and honestly, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm like, got to go in here, and the baby girl, she was my mom's roommate at that. They lived together. She was the baby of the family. 
You walk through the back doors of that little chapel there. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to cry, faint, throw up. I, I, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. My mom, I'm close to my mama, and I'm like, you got to get a hold of mom. I don't know if my mom's going to fall out, pass out. But I'm telling you, it, that there was somebody else with us in the chapel. That's all I know how to put it. Somebody else walked into that chapel with us. And all of a sudden, there was a peace that came over all four of us. All four of us knew the Lord. My sister was saved. Missionary Chris Sage, I don't know if y'all know him. Missionary of Mexico out of our church. He led my sister to Christ. He was preaching at their church in Minnesota and led my sister to Christ. Their peace came over all four of us. And I'm going to tell you, it just it was like, it was like, there's an angel up there in that casket. And we knew my sister was long gone from there. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I remember that next day we got in there. And everybody, all the family, I mean, the church was packed out, packed out. Three, four hundred people there. It was just crazy. Mostly young people. And everybody was expecting my mom to be just a complete mess. And I watched my precious mother walk from person to person, comforting them. How can you do that? It's called the grace of God. And if you'll rest in the grace of God instead of your own strength, you'll find a sufficient grace. I don't know. And it may not be, it may be your sin and you've been struggling and you've been struggling. Can I tell you the grace of God that sustained me during my sister's funeral is the same grace of God that can help you overcome addiction and bitterness in your own heart. He said there's a sufficient grace. Watch this. Number three. I don't have time. Watch this. Number three. He said this. I'm just going to mention my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may... Watch this, number three. There's glory in suffering. There's glory in suffering. Here's the problem, though. The glory is not for you. The glory in your suffering is for him. Paul said this in, in Philippians chapter 1. He said, the things which have fallen out to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. He said this, I want Christ to be magnified whether by life or by death. He said, whatever way God wants to get glory out of my life, I want him to get glory. Can I tell you what you're going through right now? If you allow it, God's going to get some glory. Because when it's all said and done, it won't. at our church, our pastor made the mistake of when we were in our building project, he made the mistake of praying and saying, God, we want this building to be built in such a way that only you get the glory. That meant at one point we had three years of the world's largest swimming pool because our, our banker said, we're not going to give you more money. Our builder said, we're not going to build anymore. And we sat there for three years with a hole in the ground with a hundred-year record rainfall. And when it was all said and done, we had a Christian group give us half a million dollars. We had banks calling us to give us money. And when our church was finally built, it says October 2010, 
There's a brick in the front of our church that says, to God be the glory. What if in your life, God's trying to form a brick that says, to God be the glory? See, there's glory in suffering. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Say, why do you say that? Because uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it sat down the right hand of the Father. Jesus saw way beyond his burden. Jesus saw way beyond his crucifixion. Jesus saw him way beyond that, and he saw the glory of God. Maybe he saw Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 9 where they were all praising God and the Lamb and saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And he knew there was going to give you a lot of glory that came from his suffering. And watch this, lastly, there's gladness and surrender. Watch this, weird phrase in the Bible. Therefore, I take, what's that word? Pleasure in mine infirmities. Watch this. There's a gladness in surrender. There's a gladness in surrender, young man. You can go back to your dad. Thank you. There's a gladness in surrender. Paul said, all this stuff I went through, I take pleasure in my infirmities. What he did not say was, I take pleasures for my infirmities. He said, in my infirmities. In other words, while they are going on, I am not happy that they're happening, but while they're happening, I can still take pleasure. There's a friend of mine, Pastor Tom Bish. I don't know if any of you know him. You go to school with him, possibly? Maybe college with him. Pastor Tom Bish, pastor's in Connecticut, Wallingford, Connecticut, Heritage Baptist Church. Noticed something was wrong with his foot one day. They went and they said, it's cancer. We're going to have to take half your foot. He came back. He had to take another part of his foot. Came back again. He had another cut below the knee. In the middle of all that, preacher, he wrote a book called When the Touch of God Hurts. God began to use him to win cancer patients and nurses and doctors to Jesus Christ. And about a year after his surgery below his knee, his precious wife went in one day and had a CAT scan, and they said, you've got brain cancer. You've got geoblastoma, a very aggressive form of brain cancer. They began to do all these experiments. They began to go to Mexico and try to get her some treatments. And within eight months, his precious wife went home to be with the Lord. He's lost his leg. Lost his precious wife. About six months later, they said, your cancer's back a little bit. And they said, we're going to have to go above your knee now. He's still pastoring that church. I'm going to tell you what it did to everybody in that northeast corridor. He is a living testimony of the grace and the goodness of Almighty God. Out of that trial, he, him and his family adopted this little phrase, God's got it. God's got it. Last time I was up in the Northeast, I saw, I saw young people from multiple churches with that T-shirt on. God's got this. You know, Tom Bish can say, I'm not happy that my wife died. I'm not happy that my leg is gone. But I take pleasure in how the Lord has used it 
in the lives of everybody else around you. Lady, I know Miss Marlene Evans, she wrote a book after she get, get, got cancer called Cancer, My Enemy and My Friend. My little sister was preaching her funeral. I told the preacher earlier this week, I, I was preaching with an attitude because I didn't want to be there. I was literally, I was probably the most harsh I have ever been at a funeral. Like I said, I didn't want to preach. And I started, I mean, I, I was like, I, it was almost as like, you're all going to hell? <laughs> like now. I mean, I probably should have apologized later for how aggressive I was, but it was just like, all bet, the gloves were off. I had people in that building that had been, I had some that had walked out of other funerals. I had some that would never respond. They never listened to anything. And finally, I just laid it out there. And I'm going to tell you, the grace of God began to flow into that building. I told somebody else, I said, it was like watching myself preach on the front, from the front row. It was crazy. God began to move into that place. And all Satan could say, hey, your sister, look at you, you're trying to preach. Look at you, now your sister's gone. And I told Satan to go back to where he came from, you know. Some of y'all get that later. <laughs> all of a sudden, grace is sufficient. God's getting glory in our suffering. And there gets a gladness in surrender. I gave the invitation. And I said, if you want Jesus Christ, I said, not your religion, not the Baptist religion. I said, it's Jesus that'll save you. I said, you need, you're, you're a hellbound sinner. You need to get saved now. I said, you want to get saved? I said, raise your hand. Hands went up all over the building. And skeptic me, I'm like, they didn't get what I just said. I said, put your hands back down. I said, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about getting in a new tree. I'm talking about Jesus only, not Baptist, not this, not this, not this, not your works. You got to abandon your works. You got to do it. And I'm like, and I was like, I said, now raise your hand. I said, you can call upon God. I said, if you don't know how to, I said, I'll help you. I said, maybe you want to pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. I believe that you died and buried and rose again, and I might be saved. And the best I know how, I put my faith and trust in you alone to save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. And I said, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I said, if you did that and you meant that, don't try to impress me. You're not going to impress me to heaven. Hands began to raise up all over that building. Watch this. I started like a good preacher. I started counting. And then, and then preacher, my eyes start filling up with tears. And I'm like, I can't even count. But I did see this. My buddy who was there, he's a preacher from Peoria. He said, Calvin, he said, I counted 41 hands. But I did see this, brother. In the front row, my sister's dad and her grandmother, he got saved. My brother's in-laws, he got saved. In that crowd, my mom's boss, my mom works for the courthouse, my mom's boss's boss, my sister's best friend. When my mom went back to work, her boss's boss's boss, she said, Miss Allen, she said, did your son preach your daughter's funeral? And she said, yes. She said, he, he said, is it on video anywhere? And she said, well, that's weird. But I think so. We put it online. The church live streamed it. 
And he said, good. He said, because everybody's walking around talking about how they know for sure if they were to die, they go to heaven. And I want to know that too. Am I happy that my sister's gone? To this day, believe me, if I thought about it long enough, I could grieve, I could weep now. I don't take glory. I'm not glad my sister's gone. But I sure am glad how the Lord used that heartache in our lives to bring much people to him. I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing. It could be your sin. It could be your sorrow. It could be yourself. But there is a message in your mess. Let's get back to him. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I will glory in my infirmities. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You getting buffeted by Satan tonight? Oh, we sing, are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Whatever your burden is tonight, can we just lay it down? Can we just lay it down tonight and say, God, you are sufficient? Help me not to walk into my own strength. It's not a deep message tonight. It's just a very poignant one. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to take your thorn in the flesh, some of you. Instead of depending on Christ, you're going to get a bottle. You're going to get a joint. You're going to get escape. You're going to, you're going to go into sexual immorality to try to relieve that. But God's grace is what will be sufficient for you. He is going to get glory out of your suffering. I mean, I could give illustration after illustration. I believe one of the reasons God's used Brother Dominguez bearing a teenage daughter. Now listen, God's grace is sufficient. There's glory that is going to come from your suffering. I know you don't see it right now. I know you don't see it and you don't feel it, but there's glory. He's going to bring glory to himself. And you're going to be glad how he uses your life if you'll let him be sufficient. Father, we praise you and thank you for how you've used our measly little lives to bring yourself glory. Lord, I pray for the one who is struggling with sin in this room tonight. Be their sufficient grace. I pray for the one who is burdened down with the cares of life and you it's a reality. Even Jesus got weary in the journey. But you send him a woman and Sychar as well, to give him a drink of water. Lord, send us some water tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.